Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We are back for part two of, I guess this is going to be the Jolly Experience, I think is what we're going to call this one. <laughs> no, we got uh, Adam and Heath Jolly on the podcast again. We're actually sitting back in uh, Adam's house here in North Carolina. Um, this is actually like, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks since the last time we were here. And uh, we're going to hit this part two episode of the episode that we actually just dropped, uh, where we're talking about kind of early season hunting. Talking about you know hunting beds early more you know in the morning hunts, which is kind of interesting because I don't hear a lot of guys talk about. Uh, but real quick before we dive anything on this episode, Adam, how you doing? Doing fine, doing fine. My first day back at work today after four <laughs> months off from a hip surgery, so my brain's a little frazzled today. <laughs> I apologize if I'm a little slow, but I'm uh, hopefully we'll do okay. But good, good to have you back up here again. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here. And Heath, how you doing? I'm good. I'm fresh off a Kentucky turkey hunt, uh, 85 to 90 degree three-day turkey mm-hmm. hunt that uh 
that didn't go great, but they did have some big turkeys there. But I'm, I'm kind of glad to be home and have a shower. So. Yeah, so I guess one thing that's going to be relative uh, for the, when this episode comes out, by the time y'all are hearing this episode, it's going to be long past turkey season, guys. But right now, it's uh, April right now while we're up here in North Carolina. And uh, yeah, by the way, when Adam told me that you were in Kentucky, I automatically thought, oh, he's probably out there scouting or something. I didn't think uh. anything about turkeys <laughs> when you told me that. I was like, okay. And then you were telling me you're turkey. I'm like, oh, that makes way more sense now uh, that y'all were out there doing that. But um, for this episode, I want to kind of dive back in. The, the episode that came out last week that everybody heard, we were talking, we kind of ended the podcast talking about, um, you know, you know, hunting some of these beds and kind of some of the success that y'all have had hunting in the mornings. And one thing that we kind of left off at the very end is like, you know, what happens when you do bump a buck from his bed, how you might key in on that potentially later in the season, or also how you're building upon your knowledge of how, you know, some of these bucks are bedding and using these different bedding points up in the mountains. Cause we're talking, you know, Western North Carolina, we're talking Virginia, Ohio, like these you know, more mountainous areas, uh, for this episode and kind of keeping the flatland guys out of this episode. But, uh, um, again, last week's episode, we just dived really deep on the kind of the betting aspect. And we were talking a little bit earlier of kind of how, before we actually start recording, how this style of hunting kind of seemed to be developed for you guys about 15 years ago. And there was yeah. a specific hunt, I think it was in Virginia, Heath, you were talking mm-hmm. about, uh, where you kind of tested some of these different guess, hunting strategies, again, hunting early season over a buck's bed uh, with some mixed results, uh, which I found interesting because I think that's a great way for us to kind of segue into this before we kind of start building points. So, um, can we talk about that big 12 point? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I was, when I found this deer, we were scouting in like September, we actually found where a bunch of elk had gone down a ridge in Virginia on the national forest. And while we were following that elk sign down through there, we found a really good buck bed on a point. And his back was kind of up against like kind of a straight up rock face, like, I don't know, 20, 30 feet high. And we just kind of noted it and we're like, man, that is just a really good buck bed. He's, he's just using it all the time. It's, it's tore up right there and it's in the middle of nowhere, like an, an hour and a half walk if you come in behind him from upridge. And from in the bottoms is actually a motorcycle, one of the few places I know of that you can ride a motorcycle in the National Forest and hunt off the motorcycle. but to come in from that way, you have to have a motorcycle to come in below him. You know, I mean, it's miles and miles through there, but anyways, we just kind of chalked it up and we're like, well, we know where that's at. Maybe I'll come back and, and, and try to hunt it later. And then we got around to bow season and I decided to try to go after that deer. And I was talking to a buddy of mine who had had success one morning. He knew where a 10 pointer was on the Pisgah national forest. And he, he couldn't kill him in the evening. He kept trying hunting around him, you know, and he was like, it just light bulb came on his head and he was like, listen, I'm going to get in there midnight, you know, is what he had <laughs> in his mind. And I'm going to climb right up above his bed where I can see it mm-hmm. and wait for him to come back in the morning. And that's what he did. And he heard him come in and he, it was first muzzleloader. The deer came in and, and he, he waited for daylight and then shot him. I think so. He, I hate to cut you off. Did that yeah. guy not say he got up at one or one thirty yes. in the morning? Yeah, he got up the tree at one thirty. He, he started in at twelve o'clock midnight. He's hardcore. He's really <laughs> oh, hardcore. Oh, we need to get this guy on the podcast. Would he come on the podcast, <laughs> he, man? He might. Probably. He might. He's kind of shy, but <laughs> he's the one that he was like. Well, I told him what I'd found, and he yeah. was like, "Well, you should go in there and try it." You know, he's like, you, "You can't go wrong," you know. And so I went in there the first time, and I took a a guy that was uh 
my buddy that was trying to uh, learn camera mm-hmm. work with me and I was trying to teach him to be a good cameraman and um, he went in with me and we were using climber stands. Anyways, we go down. The way we accessed this was to go through. We came down um, a finger ridge off a main ridge and it was, you have to push through this area. It's just super thick laurel on the top. Like, I mean, you, there is, you're just really hard to get through there, especially with a climber stand on your back. Back then we were still using those, you know, years ago, but we pushed in early in the morning and got down in there and got up over. We weren't quite over the bed. We were up the hill from it. I didn't want to get close the first time. You know, I wasn't quite confident enough yet. And I watched him come in after daylight this morning. He was, he was not on the bed before daylight. He come in at like eight o'clock. We watched him walk in and I called at him and he turned around and walked straight up the hill to us. And he came in to like 15 yards and I drew back. I had one shooting lane and my, my buddy, the cameraman that was above me hit part of the, the, the tree stand together and made a metal on metal sound. And the buck stopped immediately and then backtracked and turned around and left. He wasn't super spooked, but he was spooked enough. So I decided to get closer the next time. And I went down in there by myself and tried to get right up above the bed. And he was already in there at three o'clock in the morning. So I went in really early, like my buddy Scotty did over that other deer. You know, I thought, well, this time I'm not going to, I'm not going to go up the hill from him. I'm going to gamble and I'm going to go right up above his bed. And it didn't work, but that's kind of what got me into it. Like I got close to that deer. I got close to one of the, up to that time, the biggest deer I had ever seen, you know, bigger than anything I'd seen in Ohio at that point. It was a nice 12 pointer, you know, probably over 150 inch deer. And for Virginia National Forest, that's a good one. But that's what kind of got me into the the morning thing. Uh, we had never really been good at evening hunting. We had never had that much success uh, running into big deer like that. And that was kind of the first first time in my life that it, you know I really thought about the morning hunting like that and thought, well, you know, you can do it in the evening and try to guess where he's going to come out at. But if you do it in the morning, you know exactly where he's going to be. You mm-hmm. know, and it's it's you know it's gambling, but it it's it's heart pounding action at the same time especially if that bed is just hammered right like it stinks like he's using it all the time because not all of them are like that right and we talked about that a little bit like the characteristics of like how you can tell if a buck's been using that bed a lot and really this comes down to it's got to smell like a barnyard you got to tell like it's it's worn down to dirt there's probably gonna be rubs right next to the bed or in and around the bed and it's like you're gonna have, you know, it's gonna smell like urine. It's probably gonna be droppings all in and around the bed. Um, I mean, what are some of those characteristics? This kind of explain to the listeners of like how you know, like this buck is using a specific bed at this time of the year, and it's not just bouncing around from a bunch of different beds. Because you can find buck beds, and I found plenty of them where it's big enough, you get the rubs there, but he's just not using it all the time. Um, but I mean, what are some of those characteristics, Heath, that kind of tell you, hey, this deer's in here? Like now, like right now. Well, the trails coming off the beds are just like cattle trails, you know. I mean, there there's no leaves in them, no nothing, you know. They're they're heavy, you know, well used. Um, uh, some of them we found actually kind of nasty, like they're actually defecating and and urinating like in their bed and around their bed and then laying in it, you know. I mean, they're they're not, you know, they got to use the bathroom. But they don't want to leave that spot or too far from it during the daylight hours. So, I mean, it makes sense. You know, if you're stuck somewhere for 12 hours, you're going to be using the bathroom right there, you know. And they're they're just stinking up that spot. And, like, 
it, it's kind of nasty. You know, you, you can smell it. You get downwind of it. You can smell it from 50 yards off. You know, if, if, if it's something like that, and we, you know, that big deer Adam killed, there were two of them bedding next to each other like that. And it, the scent was amazing. Like it was kind of, it would almost take your breath away. You could smell it from downwind about 15 yeah. yards. And uh, another point, he's talking about the characteristics of those really good buck beds. One thing I've noticed is they're within, a lot of times, within sight of a primary scrape area. Like he's leaving that bed and just tearing it up. And he can see that. You know, it's during the fall. It's during hunting season. Um, so he's just tearing it up. Not all the time, but a lot of the times. Yeah, the, next to good oaks that are dropping. Yeah, you know, it seems like everything comes together like, right there, and he has everything he needs. Like he knows that tree drops pretty good every year, every other year, you know. So like, now, now y'all got me thinking about some spots in Arkansas that I hunted last year that set up like this, and I called a, a big buck in. I mean, a really good, a really really good mountain buck. Called a mountain buck in. He busted me as I was trying to swing around the saddle to like look at him because he came in from behind me uh, after grunting. Um, but you know, but kind of getting back to this and talking about some of those characteristics. You know, last week we talked to quite a bit about the early season bed hunting and like how y'all like to hunt mornings just to kind of not, I don't want to say recap. I do want to talk about the aspect of evening hunts and afternoon hunts. Cause y'all have mentioned a couple times early before we started recording that there has been some hunts that after y'all knew that a buck specific buck was using a, like I say, a certain knoll or a little secondary ridge point that y'all would go in there in the afternoon hunts and, you know, kind of play off that. And, you know, one of y'all set up on one side of the knoll, other one set on the opposite side and, Someone's going to get a shot opportunity. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like when you know he's in there, like you got, you're trying to make something happen. Yeah. Well, can you talk about the, uh, our October hunt this year? Yeah. From this year. Yeah. And so that would have been, I think it was around October the 10th. And we decided yep. with a couple of our friends, uh, TJ Sweet and mm-hmm. Zach Warren, TJ was here last time. Uh, we decided to go to an area that none of us hunted before and just go set up camp and see who could get on the deer the quickest. So it was kind of like, Oh, uh, what are these guys Public doing? Land yeah, yeah kind of like that. Public with, with just some buddies. So we set up and uh, actually how we got on the deer in that area was, um, I'll just be honest, we were driving out the was the first day that evening and crossed a huge herd of does. And this was, like I said, mid-October, coming down to hit some green fields off the National Forest down in the bottoms, kind of on private land. And we saw the does coming back and we hadn't really found anything good the first day uh, to get on. So we decided to backtrack and see if we could find some buck sign behind where the does came from. And that's exactly what happened. We went up the first ridge up onto the National Forest, for, just up from the bottom where those does were kind of staging. And there were multiple. I mean, there was like five really good, fresh, torn up scrapes right there and just some shredded trees. I mean, shredded calf size. So you knew there was a buck in the same, using the same area as the does, and he was already tearing up those scrapes. So, and this setup kind of typical, kind of, I mean, no big surprises here. This one, you know, the buck was back behind where the does were bedding. So this first little knoll, the way those mountains set, the first little knoll was where they were kind of staging. And then it went down and crossed a creek and went up to a little higher knoll. And that's where the does were at. Well, there were no more knolls other than the top of the mountain. So the buck actually was bedding about 200 yards behind those does and kind of on a flat spot on the side of the mountain. And you could follow his sign straight back there. I mean, it, it really, honestly, this is probably a bad example because it was just about too easy. It set up almost <laughs> too easy. Because um, you kind of knew exactly where it was coming from mm-hmm. based on the sign. He just played the game right for us. So we found all these scrapes. We, you could literally track them straight down a ridge, across the creek, and up to where he was bedded. And, uh, and we just followed him back. Now, the first night, I set up a heat set up to the left of the scrapes. 
on the same ridge he was making the scrapes at, but on the most likely corridor, which was kind of down a finger ridge right to the scrapes. I instead went down in a, in a, in a creek bottom, the only other way that he tended to be coming because he had two different lines of travel with rubs on both lines. So he'd set up on one. I was 200 yards away on the other, and I got lucky. And that night I had, I think, 11 deer around me. And I had a bunch of does within shooting range, but 70 yards to my left in between where me and he'd set up. Here he comes out right between us, and he just tears a tree to pieces right at dark. And I think a six-pointer had come before him. But anyways, um, so the next evening, I just moved over to where he was coming off that bed. And where he tore that tree up, I sat where he tore that tree up. And being mid-October and not rut, he came straight off that mountain right to me that second night. I could hear him coming down the mountain. And then, you know, it's kind of a, you know, hunts on public land sometimes Hmm. take on all kinds of shapes and sizes. Yeah, tell him why he came down late. Yeah, so I'm sitting there, and we start. I started hearing something, and it almost sounded like a radio. Um, and and Heath this night was where I had set the first night. Of course, mm-hmm. I couldn't really tell him where to go because I knew where that buck had come down. I put him where all the does coming down the night before, and I kind of moved over to where the the buck had torn up all the that tree. And uh, so the the noise was coming from towards where Heath was at, and I was like, "What is he doing over there?" Well, it wasn't Heath. There was two like mid mid twenties guys and one of them had like a flat bill hat and some brand new like white tennis shoes and here he is in the national force and they're carrying a tree stand and they're singing a pink floyd song pink floyd the wall yeah which is a testament to their singing abilities that we knew exactly what they were singing um but you know our college days we want to listen to a little bit of pink floyd but these guys this is an hour before dark mid-october prime time and these guys come in singing on public land to hang in tree stand they walked under Heath. Heath could actually drop something on their heads. I never saw him. And then they came 30 yards from me, right where that buck was coming down, right where he made this. At least they set up in the right spot, right where he made those, uh, those scra- or uh, that tore up those trees. And they hang a tree stand, talking as loud as, I mean, just, they were young guys, right? Yep. And then the worst part is the guy that was hanging the tree stands actually got his hand caught in the ratchet strap and then could not get himself uncaught. So he's up there like yelling. And at one point, I almost volunteered to get down and hang their tree stand for them if they just leave. <laughs> but I just I just laughed about it. And they and they walked out. They never saw either one of us. But that buck, after they walked out, those deer, there was a doe in front of me watching them the whole time, a doe behind me watching them the whole time. Neither one blew and ran off. They just watched those guys. And then the buck was behind them up on the hill. And as soon as those guys walked off, those deer came straight on down. Unfortunately for me, it came down a little bit too late. But anyways, it set up uh, very typical of what you hear um, you know, the, the buck being behind where the does were bedding, mm-hmm. he had this big group of does. He was already checking to see which ones were in heat. He already had the scrape set up. There was a typical food source at the bottom of the mountain. That section of national forest just set up perfect for that. So that would, th- that would be an even, uh, you know, an evening hunt for us. We do more morning hunts, but sometimes in the evening, if we find that perfect setup, we will set up. And, and we talked about this in the last episode about y- y'all feeling that when you hunt in the evening, it's more of a gamble. Not only what exit trails the deer coming out of, but also is he going to be out of his bed coming down to me before it's dark? So, like, you have two big risks there. Versus if you go in the morning, yeah, the good, like you said, Heath, early in that first that first kind of story, the buck could already be there. You don't get if you get there too late, the buck could already be in the bed. You blow him out. Okay, it is what it is. But if he's not already there, and you can get set up in a situation in a way where 
your sense blown coming off the knoll from the opposite side of where that buck is potentially going to be coming up based off what you find mm-hmm. the first time going in there and finding, you know, what's his entry trails look like. You have a higher risk potentially if you don't get smelt when he's coming in of him actually coming in, presenting himself and giving you the shot opportunity more so than on an afternoon hunt. Right. Which I find is very, very interesting. And again, we, we talked about that in last week's episode, but it, it brought up an idea or something I thought about kind of late into that episode which was kind of what I was talking about like for doing a part two is like, okay, what happens in those situations? Say that deer does bust you, whether you're in the stand, he smells you when you're in the stand on a morning hunt or you run in, he's in the bed already, you bump him out or, or you're, you're scouting through one day and you just bump a buck out of his bed. How do you take that knowledge to then come in and reapply it, either come and hunt that same spot in bed later in the season or take that knowledge to hunt there the following year and go back in there and have success? I mean, what is y'all's take on that? Because again, last week's episode, we really talked about being super aggressive, going in, hunting early season, hunting these beds. Well, if these guys do, you know, like what probably a lot of people do, is going to be, you know, mess up for whatever reason, deer blows out there. How do they go and potentially re-hunt that area or maybe get back on that buck later in the season or in the next year? Well, usually um, if if we do bust one, if we get busted, and we do get busted a lot, um, I, I usually, if, if it's a real good bust, I mean, if he absolutely knows what's going on and you can tell he does, then, then we'll just chalk that up to come back and see if he's there next year, ease back in the next season at the same time, see if he's there. And if you run him off, then you know, he's coming back. You know, we're not, I'm not scared to run him off that first time, mm-hmm. you know, but if I run him off twice, I'm not hunting him again. Cause I know he's on, he's on to the game at that point. And, uh, as far as coming back and hunting him during the rut, you know, so sometimes, you know, if, if they're still bedding in that location, you can come in there and do that. And, you know, and you got a muzzleloader in your hand then, you know, so if, if you do see him, it's, it's going to work. But usually I'll wait a full year before we go back. And it is an absolute ambush again, because he's had most likely had a full year of no human interaction, mm. you know, since you busted him the time before. Well, and when you're coming back during the rut, you know, we'll walk in there, we'll have this game plan and we'll be like, okay, we'll get in between the two closest really good doe bedding areas and try to find like a pinch point in between the closest bedding areas to where he was bedded when we saw him last time. Um, but, but then a lot of times that game plan will go out the window because you're walking in and you're seeing fresh sign. So in this ca- in the case of that, uh, the big eight I shot on the yeah. National Force, and I think it was 2019, um, right after our first uh, podcast that mm-hmm. we did. Uh, we walked in to kind of do that with this buck that Heath had busted the year before. It came down behind him off a off a bedding point, and uh, and it got his wind. Well, we went back in there, and sure enough, I mean, we found a very very obvious trail coming off that had like literally the sap was still running out of the rubs, and also there was some fields in the distance heading. It was very obvious where he was going. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we set up. We we didn't. Our original plan went out the window, and there was kind of the the rub line was in. There was two separate finger ridges that he could have come off to make that rub line well there's two of us we split and sure enough he came straight down to us so we didn't have that plan our plan at first was to walk in and find the doe bed and areas getting between them as close to that bed his bed as possible and then what we actually ended up doing was just getting below that bedding knoll that he was on on the most recent sign and he came right to us and what was that sign like i mean rub scrapes tracks uh, there weren't we did not find any scrapes on that particular mm-hmm. hunt it was uh, a lot of tracks and rubs to where you knew he was using it every day okay yeah, because you're talking about the sap and everything so, so that's yep. a good point and also um it, it brings up an, another kind of question of the aspect of like 
staying flexible in how you hunt. And what I mean by that is not like going with a predetermined, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then you get in there and you like, don't pay attention to maybe different sign than you expected to find there or whatever. Like say like that, like you're finding sign that, Hey, showing that that buck is still, or there is a buck potentially still coming off that point a year later doing kind of what, you know, he's kind of saw the, the previous year. Why not key in on that instead of doing what your first plan was uh, and being kind of more versatile and kind of like your approach. And that that's something I feel like, especially when we're talking about like taking what you learn from one season or one hunt and applying it later in the season. Cause like talking about maybe bumping deer in September or October, like early mm-hmm. in the season blows out, whatever, whether you're scouting, whether you're hunting the situation, you blow them off his bed and then you can come back in and potentially try it during the rut, which we're going to talk about probably a little bit later of like, again, some of these bucks in these areas still using some of these bedding locations during the rut. But before we kind of go into that, I got to bring back the, 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 or, bring out to the listeners or explain to the listeners again that we are talking about mountains here. We're not talking about hill country, not talking about flatlands. And something that from a lot of guys, especially talking to you two, that hunt the mountains is that the bucks bed, especially these mature bucks, in very specific locations. And once they find a good location, it's not like they're just leaving to go to a different bed. Like they kind of have their spot and time in and time out, they're sticking to that location. Uh, which is a really different compared to what we see in like flatland and also like hill country where they may have per a lot of the GPS studies that we looked at seven, eight, 10, 12 different beds that they may be using within a few week time span. And they're just kind of bouncing around, which is hard because not only is it hard to find that one bed that looks like it's been worn out, but it's also as hard to key in on that specifically that one bed that doesn't have the sun that y'all are talking about. I've only seen a couple beds, like what we've talked about so far, like that super heavy sign, Smells like a you know a uh, like a barnyard. Mm-hmm. It's just nasty. And the only the first place that comes to mind was that bed in Ohio that we talked about in last week's episode. That bed I found in Ohio during turkey season back in 2018 was just like that. It was ridiculous. And I just don't ever find beds like that in Alabama. But I just had to preface that on this episode because we are talking about mountains. When we're talking about building upon some of this knowledge to then apply, like I'll talk about that hunt. Heath again, buck bu- best busted you back in 2018. Came back in 2019, y'all set up off the hot sign, and then um, Adam, you were able to kill it. What does that kind of tell you about paying attention to what's happening now for future hunts and not just being so dead focused on what you're doing right now and not caring about putting this knowledge into the bank of what this buck's doing or what these bucks are doing for potentially later in the season or next year? Well, when when I'm finding sign like that, we're I'm not married to the idea of having to kill that buck right now, you know, and I'm, I'm never married to certain spots either. I'm always bouncing around. If I find that and, you know, I might try him one time, but if I can't kill him, you know, I'm, 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 I'm still excited about it because I know I've got that shot. If he's doing the same thing he's doing the next year, I've got that. I've got that in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And I might have 10 or 20 spots like that in my pocket. And then I just go from one to the other, depending on the wind and the location of that that spot. And I'll decide, okay, today I'm going to go try that guy and see if he's still there. You know, see if the, the situation is still the same and if, see if I can kill him. And then if I can't, I just move on. And I keep moving on. And I think that's the reason I end up running into a lot more big bucks than a lot of people. It's because I don't get married to a certain spot and I'm taking all that information and I'm I'm putting making a library in my head of all those different bucks that I can potentially hunt if they're still there and still doing the same thing. 
and then I'm jumping from area to area. And, you know, I'm usually only hunting one day, but I'll hunt all day mm -hmm. trying to see if, if, if he's still there. And maybe if I know he is and I hadn't got busted that first day, I'll hunt him that second day too. But then I move on, you know, by, by the second day, I'm, I usually hunt a lot of areas that have a lot of deer in Virginia. And you know, I know a lot of guys do the opposite thing. They'll hunt areas that are sparsely populated and then they might sit the same spot for a week. And I kind of do the opposite of that. I'm intentionally, I like to see a lot of deer. I'm intentionally going to areas that have a lot of deer. And just because there's a lot of deer doesn't mean there aren't giant bucks in there. You know, a big buck will live around a bunch of does. They don't just live, you know, a certain type of buck. Yeah, he'll live off by himself most of the year in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, a lot of these areas where there's a ton of deer in a mountainous area, I mean, them big bucks are even safer around a whole bunch of does. I mean, you can't get to them without getting busted by some of the other deer, lesser deer, you know. So the big bucks are sometimes safer in those really high, densely populated areas. So, Well, and we're not always hunting beds. Right. Like if we're in an area and, and we know that there's a, a good buck bedding location, we will try it. Right. But if it's a rut, we'll also stay in that area and move to a, a pinch point in between bedding or scrape areas. Um, so we don't always just hunt bedding. I, I don't want to come across the wrong way. Right. Um, but then we also forgot to talk about, like, you know, if there's a high wind day, we've had a lot of fun, maybe not a ton mm -hmm. of success. But a lot of fun stalking the deer in those bedding areas that deer or bucks yeah. seem to bed in year after year mm -hmm. on a high wind day. So, just go in there and just just well, hang it all out. I, I know we talked about that episode that y'all filmed where y'all were together and had that buck that kind of came up towards you because of the wind was swirling. And that was one thing I wanted to bring up is like in situations like that, if you did have like a high wind day, you know, say abnormally high, wherever you, some place that might be. 15 to 20 mile an hour, someplace that might be 30 to 40 mile an hour, but like a high wind day like that, maybe going in and like using it as like, oh, we're going to go spot check some potential areas that I've seen bucks betting at, or I suspect a buck to be betting at and kind of use that elevation to your advantage and come up from above and kind of ease down mm -hmm. with that high wind. <clears throat> I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that? Cause I've heard of I've another a, guy doing this and having, I've success. got a good one there. Okay. Okay. This happened not last year, but the year before. Um, so I've got my, my wife is kind of uh, paranoid, paranoid, and I do a lot of hunts where there's no cell phone service. So she bought me a GPS years ago. So now I've got all these buck bedding areas on this GPS. So if we're near an area like that and it's high winds, it gets up to high winds and we don't want to be in a tree stand, you know, we'll, we'll try to sneak around, you know, especially if it's muzzleloader. We might try to sneak in there and see if he's home, you know, by coming down from above. Mm -hmm. So two years ago, I was uh, pulling out of the area that we snuck up on that buck from behind in the high wind. And I knew an area five miles down the road that I had found the same scenario. And I could walk up, it was actually a section of the Appalachian Trail. I could walk up it and it was really only like a 10 minute walk, it was cake. So I walk up and I can come, I go out, go out on a finger ridge, the, the trail kind of curves around the first top of the, first, where it hits the first finger ridge. And down off about 100 yards off the top of that finger ridge where the trail curved was the buck bedding location I'd found. So I'm leaving, and I've been hunting for like six days, and I'm wore out, and I want to shower. And I'm going home, but I wanted to check. I thought, you know what? It's muzzleloader. I'm just going to walk up there. It ain't going to take long, 15, 20 minutes, sneak up there. So I, I go up, and I, I sneak up the trail, and I'm coming down off the top, and I'm just slipping. 
and I get to the point above where the bucks were bedded. They were kind of bedded below the point. And there's a sunny spot there. It's a really cold day. And there's a doe laying there. And she's looking the other way. And But it's really, uh, it's it's not a high wind day. Like, it wasn't a great day mm-hmm. to do it, but I thought I could sneak in anyways. So I had to sneak around the backside of this doe without her seeing me. But uh, it took me like 30 minutes to sneak around her. Well, then I can get to the point where I can see off to where the buck bedding was. I look off down through there. When I finally get there, and I was really giggling, I was really happy with myself sneaking around that doe. Sneaking around a live animal without him seeing you in the dry leaves was, you know, that was the highlight to my trip, you know. But I slip around, and I look down the hill, and there's an eight-pointer standing down there where the buck bed is. A good three-year-old eight-pointer, you know, like 120-inch deer. I'd already killed a decent deer that year, and and he was not quite what I was looking for. I only had one more Virginia tag left. I'm standing there looking at him. And he's looking to the right. And then I sit there about five minutes and here comes another buck. And this whole time he's been looking at this buck coming around the ridge, coming up from the bottom. And they square off on the side of the hill. And it's two, like three-year-old bucks. And they square off and spar on the side of the hill in front of me. And that happened over a buck bed that I had marked on my GPS and just randomly decided to sneak into. And I didn't shoot either of those deer, but looking back at it, I probably should have shot the second one because I didn't, I, you know, I didn't feel my second tag that year. But, you know, that's just one other example of, you know, hey, this looks like a great, great buck bedding area. Yeah, he might not be bedding here all the time, but, you know, if I get the right scenario, I'll sneak back up here and see. And it did work out that day. It's one of the most fun times I've had in the woods watching those two bucks spar. And that, you know, it was just for me marking a buck bedding area and then sneaking up above. It had been high wind when I decided to go do it, but the wind kind of calmed before I got there, and I I really had to sneak. But that's the reason I did it. I was like, well, it's high wind, you know, and I'm leaving, and I'm going by there anyways, and it's only a 15-minute walk. So I just, why not go pop up there and see what happens? And to me, that, that kind of brings back, like, what I want to talk about, which is the aspect of paying attention to these things and like, paying attention, like, when you're finding some of these potential bedsides. And again, talking to mountains here, I'm hopefully going to hunt hopefully a decent, decent amount of this season in more mountainous terrain so I can try to apply some of the stuff for myself. But paying attention to some of the stuff, and then when the conditions are right, like you said, like you got a little time to walk into a spot, depending on how far it is. And again, I'm thinking again on some of these more windy days and just kind of easing in, and especially come muzzler season or, or firearm season, depending on when that opens for your state, leaves are off the trees, to maybe get to a spot where you could spot check some of those areas off the ground which I find super interesting because, again, it gives you another versatility style of hunting um, instead of just having to go sit in the stand. Like, again, is it like a scouting tool? Maybe there's not a deer using it right now. That's fine. But you can go and, like, check it, and you can have an opportunity like that, especially in this kind of habitat we're talking about here. Uh, one question, we never really talked about this. Or, well, we kind of talked about early in the last week's episode when we were talking about, Adam, the 13 point that you killed, um, which was positioning of, like, do y'all notice at all these bucks using any kind of wind advantage at all in these buck beds or like characteristics, like more so on the North side of a, of, of a ridge instead of like a South side of the ridge or vice versa, or East or West facing, you know, secondary ridge points, um, any kind of, you know, direction of wind. Does like any of that play a factor at all? Or do you just feel like it's the best spot for him that gives him a visual advantage of looking at whatever's down below? Him? I, it's just my opinion. It's more based in these mountains on a visual advantage. Yeah. There is, there is some wind element to it. We were talking earlier, and I wanted to say something about this, about these really highly used buck beds that really stink. 
but not all the ones we hunt are like that. And I think some of the some of the places where these bucks bed are so well set up that any win works for them. And and not only do they have a visual advantage, but they also have a wind advantage. But not all of them. Um, and I think in ones where the where it's not just a perfect buck bed, but the point works really well for them, you'll find five, six, or as many as ten beds on that point. But it's not doe bedding. If you look around, mm-hmm. it's just shredded trees and buck scat everywhere. And that's one buck that doesn't like to use the same bed all the time, but he likes to use that point. So he's not just bathing there based on the visuals. He's actually getting up and moving around. And like he may only be moving five yards, but when the wind shifts, he goes and, and moves over to a different bed. So it's it's not as pronounced as the beds we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, all of them are not the same. It seems like some bucks use the mm-hmm. same bed all the time. And then, and I think that some of it has to do with age, but, and then, uh, and just, you know, finding a spot that works for them. But then you have other bet bucks that either use the same point, but bet all over the point, or other bucks might have five different points in that little area that, mm. that they bet on. When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation. And hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. And it's just like a personality. Like every, you know, I've heard this from like different biologists that like did GPS studies. Some deer just have a personality. They're roamers. Other deer are homebots. Like it just is what it is. Like there's deer have like different personalities, uh, which is kind of interesting, kind of fun when you're hunting because there's no absolutes. Like none of this, like right. it's an absolute. It's just like what y'all have been experiencing, which is pretty interesting. But it brings up the, I guess, the thought that if they're betting mostly based off, you know, they have that, it's more of a visual advantage, not so much the wind advantage. Um, have y'all ever gone in? And especially like if you had like a really hot point where like year after year you're seeing bucks bed there. Have y'all ever gone in there and put a trail camera like in and around one of those points? That I mean I know y'all don't run trail cameras much, but that yeah, would be we, super interesting. No, we really haven't because we 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 haven't used trail cameras hardly at all because bears get them constantly. We we rarely leave one in the woods in Virginia where a, a bear doesn't find it. I had one climb a tree 16 feet last year. He looked up, saw my camera, climbed up. You could see the marks where he climbed all the way really? up and sunk his teeth into my camera just enough to break the the lenses on it. You know, really? Yeah. yeah. Those SOBs. Uh, listen, we're gonna I'm yeah. give me a bear permit for old Virginia, but, dude. Yeah, probably. We we just don't have a. Or yeah. I don't have a ton of time when I'm not hunting to go and put trail cameras out and go and retrieve them because we don't live near any game land. Yeah. The closest game land we ever hunt is probably an hour and fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that's the main reason. If I live two miles from game land, I'd have cameras up everywhere, but we just don't have the access for that. I also think that that might be one of our strong suits is that we don't live near game land and we're not, we don't have that urge to put out cameras. So we're not, that buck is literally never not smelling us for a whole year. Like we're not going in and out of there like 
four times a year and putting in cameras, you know, uh, we're, it really or is once a week. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Yeah. We had, a, we had a buddy that was going up to the national forest every weekend and putting out cameras. Then he couldn't, he couldn't understand why the bucks that he got the first week disappeared. And we kept trying to tell him it's because you're going in there and checking those cameras and we never do that. And you know, the disadvantage, we don't know what the buck looks like. The advantage, the buck has no idea we're coming for him, you know. Also, there's a little bit of ex- excitement there. Yeah, it's there. You know, you don't know what you're gonna get. You know, <laughs> and I, I mentioned to you guys earlier about Travis Murray, the guy from uh, Mississippi. I was talking about kills big deer. He used to be a hardcore fanatic about trail camera use, and that's how he killed his 200 inch deer, um, bat tracking him. But he said it, it took so much energy out of him running cameras, like it just made it not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. So he like stopped using them, and now it's like for him, whether it's 120 inch deer, 160 inch deer that comes out. It's more about like finding that sign, and it's more exciting because you don't know what he looks like. Mm-hmm. Like you're just kind of going off the sign, the rubs, and everything else, and it's like it's that excitement level. Like when you see him for the first time, like it's that aha moment. And that's to me, I like that too. Not because I'm a lazy guy, I don't want to run trail cameras, but it's like the idea of like when you see him, it's like either you're gonna shoot or you're not gonna shoot. Either get your heart beating, you're like I'm shooting that thing, especially if I got a muzzle or gun in my hand, potentially you need to get an opportunity or your bow. Um, or you're like, okay, maybe it's not what I want, but it's like it's like an it's like first time you've seen them is like right then and there, and you gotta make a decision, which is pretty cool. I was like, oh no, that's that's all that's triple time, man. Oh now we're gonna yeah. give him another year because we've seen you know thirteen thousand <laughs> trail cam photos of that dude. Yeah, yeah, we rarely get to name our bucks. Yeah, yeah rarely. And I think a a lot of people uh, will take those trail cameras and then not hunt an area because they didn't get a picture of the buck that they think is high quality when the buck may actually be there and they just didn't get a picture of him. You know, they're relying too heavily on the trail camera, you know, that's true. And that's one thing that I've kind of come to realize is, you know, you get, you think of like how narrow, even like a wider field of view camera, unless you have like a super tight pinch point, And even some of the super tight pinch points, big bucks just don't like going through tight pinch points. Um, and that's what I've, I've kind of seen, but also talked to a lot of other guests is like, Sometimes those big bucks just don't like to go through a tight saddle or whatever. They want some place where they have different options for escape, no matter where they're going. Um, but it's like if you go in a hundred percent off what your trail cameras are showing you, that can truly dictate how hard you hunt an area. Because the thing is, you might not have all that. You might not even have like a good deer, what you would call like a shooter deer on camera. But if you don't know what's walking to the left or right of that camera or behind the camera, I know so many guys right, we. It's funny. Every time we bring up, like, oh, yeah, I've interviewed somebody. We talked about that. Uh, Paul Vuccieri, who we talked about last week's episode, um, talking about, like, the rubs. And like, he, I made the comment, he likes to see a rub that looks like it's been, like, pulled pork. It's, like, shredded. Like, that's tells him it's a big buck. It's got gnarly bases. Um, but he's tracked, like, dry ground tracked a buck past eight guys' trail cameras. And that buck never walked in front of the trail camera. He was like going behind the trail cameras as he was walking through, and they were in the camp, trail cameras are in the right spots. It's just the buck was going around them, and like, prop, like probably ninety five percent chance they didn't catch him on camera. And he was a big old freaking ten point, and, get, and, and Paul actually killed a deer. But it's like so many times I feel like that happens. Like you put mm-hmm. a trail camera out, uh, and like the deer, the buck's not walking in front of the trail camera, so it doesn't really tell you what's all there. So I, I have a theory on that. I think that the deer, even if you wear gloves or whatever, and you have no human scent on the camera. I think the deer can, to a certain extent, smell the electronics and the batteries, and and know that it's not natural. You the, know, especially the battery. That's a good right. Point. Especially yeah. the battery. And we can't, you know, as humans, we can't imagine being able to smell an electronic device. But I'm pretty sure deer at sometimes can smell 
cameras, even if you went through all the precautions. Well, I think a buck yeah. pays more attention to the little tiny noises like, you know, that these cameras make as opposed to like a, a, a doe group of five does that have all, they're used to having somebody else looking out for them like their little gang, right? You know, there's five of us, so nobody's going to get us. But that buck's just relying on himself, you know, when he's not in a bachelor group. He's relying on himself and he's paying more attention and more, uh, you know, something like a trigger on a camera might scare him off as opposed to a group of does. Which is why we've never tried putting one over a bed. I have always considered. I mean, it, yeah. it sounds cool to do. Yeah. Now, I've no guys have done it. We we tried to do one in Alabama. We found we found a really interesting bed. It was me, Michael Pike, and Andrew one day. And this is like three years ago. We did put a camera there, and uh, I think we got a little buck that used it. But it, again, it wasn't like a shooter. It's like I just a little rack buck. We're like oh, well, that was cool. But it was in a spot. He was bedded right off, almost not a bluff, but it was super steep but like soft ground where like when you were going down it's like covering pine shaw for like 60 80 feet down that like it, ankle breaker you could call it like dude, you better be super careful going down he was coming up and down it and the camera we put out because we wanted there was overhanging branches over the bed so like you couldn't put it up super super high next to the bed because there would be all the limbs away so we had to put it like 10 yards away on a pine tree on that we'll call it a bluff for this you know analogy and it was like probably eight feet up that tree, but it's almost eye level with the deer in the bed. And we got like three photos of that deer or maybe it was a video, but he like laid down and looked at the, and he could see that camera. It was right there, <laughs> 10 yards in front of him on that big old pine tree. And he was like, never to be seen again. And it was, it was, it was probably a year and a half old deer, maybe two and a half year old buck. But, uh, and he picked up on it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so you like, so. you wonder like, you know, especially if it's a buck using that bed, like constantly, it, it's going to be tougher for you to get away with that kind of stuff, which brings up, I think y'all were, Tell me a hunt previously. I think Adam, you were kneeling down in a buck's bed, and yep. and it was on video. And then like you went and like, well, well, well that was another one that was kind of like, y'all went to decided you were going to hunt this bed, and Buck kind of knew there was something up the next day or whatever. Yeah, I knew. And, you know, we were filming then, and uh, you know, we had this YouTube channel, and we were. I had gotten in the buck's bed. Yeah, I know I shouldn't have gotten in the buck's bed, but like we were talking about earlier. Um, you're wanting to show the guys that are watching your channel what you're talking about. So I go right in the middle of this buck bed after we found it. This buck bed, and this was, I think, early October, he was not bedded on a point. He was bedded on the edge of a big laurel thicket beside of a point, but overlooking access. So he's still overlooking access, but he was not bedding on the yeah, point. Yeah, he could see the road from there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he could see yeah. everybody that come around there. So we, we actually didn't park where he could see us. We parked and walked but anyways um i had sat down in this buck's bed and was you know we were heath was filming and we were explaining kind of this you know what the buck could see from the bed and all that and uh so the next this was probably two or three o'clock that afternoon the next morning i'm above that buck's bed i'm 20 yards from him um and i think we were up in the tree by like 4 30 i mean it was kind of one of those situations where you get up there and just go to sleep and um about 5 15 i think it got daylight around six or something by 5 15 that buck comes in and I can hear him coming from a long ways. And by the time he actually gets to the bed, I can see him. It's daylight enough for me to see him, but I can't see the pins on my bow. I pick the bow up. I'm looking. I'm like, it's not legal. Can't see the pins on the bow. But he's standing there and he's like a dog sniffing his bed and turn around in circles before he lays down. And what he was doing sitting there sniffing where I stood there the day before. I'm mean, I literally sat in his bed. And he was like, somebody's been in my, what's the three bears? Uh, Someone's been laying in my bed. Yeah. So he's sitting there, but he still lays down. I mean, I watch him lay down and I'm just waiting 
for you know enough daylight to get those pins back. And that's one thing about hunting beds in the morning. There is nothing, not even the rut, that's more exciting than sitting there with a bow in your hand, waiting for it to get daylight, and there's a buck 15 yards from you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, whether it works out or not, in this case, it didn't. <laughs> it's hard to explain how exciting that I, is. I mean, my you know, heart was coming out of my throat. But anyways, he finally, he just couldn't stand it after a while. After about 10 minutes, he just couldn't stand it anymore. He just got up, and, and he walked, and he walked into the laurel thicket, and it was just almost time where I could see my pins. But anyways, do I regret going and sitting up over that buck bed? No, because of the excitement of that hunt. And we almost got, I mean, I almost got him. Still a great morning, even though you got busted. Oh, yeah, it was the greatest. And it it probably one out of 10 works that you actually get to sling an arrow. Maybe less. But I mean, you know, as much as we we flip around from hunting spot to hunting spot. Yeah, how many times does it have to work in a season? You only have so many tags. That is is true. Look at that. Think of that. Like, yeah, that that is a good point. Like, um, whether, you you know, you're going to do a high odds hunt. Which is not many such. There's not many such things as a high odds hunt, um, or something that like the risk to reward factor. There's there's a there's a great kind of vibe between it, but that reward factor is massive if you can pull it off. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing. I'll tell you what. One thing that ma- that, that kind of reminds me of you know all these. I know so many guys compound hunted for years. Now they're like, dude, I'm going to get into a traditional archery. I'm going to shoot a recurve or, or longbow just because they want that challenge. And again, what we're talking about here doesn't apply everywhere. I'm going to say like more mountainous areas is where I think this is going to be like most relative. But like, if you live and hunt one of those areas, this is like that next level up as I think is like a challenge for yourself. Like, can you go in whether it's early season or late in the year and find a buck's bed and go in and hang and hunt over him the next day and get him shot? Cause if you can do that, dude, that's like, that's seriously doing something. I mean, cause I just, it's so much, there's so many factors there that like are out of your control. This is like, hopefully you get away with it i mean that, that's it i mean because that's kind of like part of that excitement level is like okay you don't know what's going to happen like the deer is lying right there that's that's another like remember i told you i was telling y'all about in that last week's episode about that guy older gentleman he's like mid-70s late 70s from georgia that was doing this back in like the 80s and he was going in little wood blocks two o'clock in the morning trying to find where the bucks were bedded at that you know while they were out in the fields feeding and then try to hang and hunt and kill them that way and he's, I remember him saying how rewarding it was when it came together. Because, again, he said the same thing. It wasn't very high odds. Like, right. he got busted all the time. But he had enough places he could bounce around from and do it. But it's like, when it comes together, it's like, dude, I was in his bed. I was in his bedroom. And I was able to shoot him on my terms in the area he felt most comfortable. Like, that is, like, the ultimate hunter. Like, the, ult- the ultimate kill right there is being able to do that. Dude, that's, that's super exciting. That's like, that's, that's like, again, that's like kind of taking the next level. Again. You know, if, if you're a weekend hunter and you don't have a few weekends a year to hunt, mm-hmm. maybe it's not the thing yeah. for you. But if you got some time to hunt, I can see like how there's like probably a huge learning curve, but you probably learn even more about like the body language deer and how those deer come in. Cause I think one thing I hear a lot of guys talk about is like, do or do not bucks J hook when they come into their bed? You know, are they making these huge wide kind of circles before they come into their bed? Not like kind of coming in and like doing a small circle. And I feel like if you do this enough, potentially you're going to kind of figure out for yourself, well, what are they doing in your area? Like we're talking again, mountains here, you know, are they kind of coming more up to it? Which makes me think in mountain area and mountainous, more mountainous habitat, I think they can't J hook very well because of where you're hunting. Flatlands, it's easy to J hook. Right. Rolling hills, it's easy to no. J hook. Here in the mountains, there's only one or two ways you're getting up there. Right. And you're only going one or two ways. So like, I guess you can kind of use that to your advantage as well as like those 
Bucks really can't J hook all that well. No, and I've never seen one do it. Have you? Adam? I haven't either. No, I've seen them come, come in, in from the mostly side. from underneath, but occasionally, like that buck we were just yep. talking about, he the, came in from the side. Yeah, he side heeled over. He come bed. up a hundred yards down and then side heeled to the bed. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the one that came in that I shot and lost mm-hmm. came straight up the finger ridge, like right up, like like I would think a doe would. Mm-hmm. But he came straight up, and he didn't. I mean, he didn't vary at all. He came just straight up to his bed. Stood over it and then did a couple circles like a dog and laid down. You know, and I feel like again that's just a characteristic to like the the terrain that we're talking about. I mean, it's more rugged. It's not like they have a ton of options when you're flat land. I mean, unless there's like an ungodly thicket or something that they don't want to go across, they j hook all they want. But it's the same way for us. Mm-hmm. Like, there's only so many ways we can get to him. That's yeah. true too. Yeah. So it, you know, it's the terrain is is for the deer and also for the hunters. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you can't get to them. Like in mountainous terrain, you, you, in the areas we hunt, you know, you'll have one access point, maybe two, if you're lucky to a two or three mile section of the forest and the private land people can come in easy mm. any way they want, but you got one way you can go in and usually only, only one or two ways that you could go in and, and hunt a, a buck bed area, you know, like, and you're very limited and you just, you just got to try it. You only have a couple ways you can do it. And, uh, some, some, some places they're just at you can't hunt them and you just mark that off and be like okay it's nice to see it but i know i'm not gonna kill that deer uh can we talk i want to talk about like more examples of like where y'all seen actually bucks bedded at like different like scenarios or like setups Mm -hmm. like when y'all found beds one i just i just have a question and then y'all can kind of talk about different examples y'all personally found have you ever seen one like adam you talked about finding one at the base of like a bluff have you ever seen one at the top of a bluff where there's like a bluff that close by that they drop down to, but they'll bed up against like almost like a, I'm like, almost like a drop off. Uh, have y'all ever seen a situation like that before? Usually right off the top, like not at the top of the bluff, mm-hmm. but the first flat below the bluff. Yes. You know, and that's where you normally The, see the one time we thought we'd found a buck bed above a bluff. It actually ended up being a bear, bear bed. bed. Yeah. I got chased up the mountain during turkey season going to look. I was I was near it, and I thought, you know what? I wonder if that deer is laying there. And I, I was during turkey season. It was late in the day, and I was like, well, I'm just going to go over there and look at that again. We saw it last year, and it was really interesting. Took pictures of it, put it on our Facebook page, I think. And then I, I went over there, and I busted a giant bear out of that and he he ran 20 yards and then he turned around and got interested in me and the hunter became the hunter and became the hunted <laughs> yeah i'd back up the 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 mountain it's super super steep this is north carolina mountain yeah and i held the shotgun on him and i'd i'd go 20 yards up the mountain and that's just pretty much as far as i could go before i'd have to rest for a second and he'd follow me 20 yards and he'd sit down on his butt like winnie the pooh he'd sit down on his butt and just stare at me and then I'd go 20 or 30 yards more, and I'd turn around and he, face He'd him. wait for you to slide down yeah. to him. <laughs> and he'd come right back He didn't back look up. like Winnie the Pooh. No. no. Uh-uh. Well, he the only other bed, bear bed that I found was on that same mountain, on the same side of the mountain mm-hmm. that he's talking about. And I thought it was a buck bed when I walked up from a distance. It was on the edge of a laurel thicket on a point. I'm like, oh, there's going to be a buck bed right there. And there was a road b- below it. So, you know, visual, mm. you know. But anyways, I go down there to it. And there are cow bones all in this bed, full size, you know, femur bones. And the bed is about two or three times the size of a deer bed, but it had hair in it. 
and it was just flat. It almost, you know, stunk. Dude, listen, y'all, there were bones in it. Y'all aren't much bear hunters. I, just drop me a couple of pins and let, let's, <laughs> let's go find. I'll buy a tag. We'll go up there to come gun season and freaking go after a bear if it's an open unit. Uh, no, but that's that's yeah. I never thought about that. I guess all the walking we've ever done. That's the only two I think we've yeah. ever found. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah, but the bears are easy. North Carolina and Virginia, mm, we see as many bears as we do deer almost, you know. we got a great population. Uh, it, it, really, they can't kill enough of them to yeah. satisfy me because they we can't put a camera out, you know. I mean. They love, they love doing a little damage, a little property damage. But going back to, like, different examples, what are, like, in the mountains and some of these different areas, what are some different examples y'all found where bucks bedding? I know earlier we were talking about, like, really steep bluffs. Like, this is before we started talking about the podcast. In like a situation there where you kind of, you know, Heath, you kind of caught some slipping through a, a really steep face going back to bed. But like, yeah. what are some of these different examples that y'all, y'all kind of found? Well, one of one of my best spots, and I know if I go sit there every year, if I just go hang in there two days, I'll, I'll see a good buck, um, is it's this long, skinny, like knife ridge. Like there's not many in Virginia like that. And on the south side of that ridge, it's really like open hardwoods. The does use it a lot. And you get halfway down it and there's old abandoned farm fields that have grown up and it's kind of made doe bedding. So the bucks don't use that side of the mountain at all. Like not during the daylight. Um, all the buck bedding is on the north face. In On the private land, There, the private land is where the... Uh, um, all the laurel, the big laurel thicket is laurel and rhododendron thicket, and it's the steepest land on in the whole area. And the private land people do not come up in there from the bottom. They can't walk up. You know, it's impossible. I have side hilled through there twice when I first found it and realized what it was. I was scared side hilling through there. You know, I'm hanging on to trees and just you know, if you fall, you're done. Um, it's the thickest spot on the whole mountain, and it's on the north side. And it's got little flat spots, little, you know, every 30, 40 yards, it'll have like a little flat spot where a deer can lay down. When you talk about flat spot, how big is a flat spot? You know, it might be eight feet, you know, it might be eight or nine feet, but you you rarely get anything bigger than that Mm -hmm. on those those straight off drop offs like that. But the bucks have all the cover right there and no humans are ever walking in there. So what I did was set up in the open hardwoods on the public beside that a hundred yards off the top where most of the sign is coming in and out of that laurel thicket and i have yet to sit there i've sat there five times in the past three years i've yet to sit there without seeing a shooter buck so i shot like this year i shot a a nine pointer and he failed to tell you how steep it is he fell 200 yards like he 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 fell out of sight you know, <laughs> I was gonna ask about that. Like that yeah. sounds like the spot. Like you shoot one, you're like, man, he's got to be good enough to pack oh, yeah. out because he's going to the bottom. Or oh, like it sucked. Down. You know, I had my like camera equipment and stuff, even though I didn't get it on film. He he smelled me. The wind switched and he smelled me from behind. And he, what killed him was he blew one time, and I spun around and he he took off and I shot him. But the next day I tried to take Adam back in there and we killed a buck before he even got back in there. So I had uh, taken two bucks out of there two days in a row and then the third day that i went in i hate to say it i missed the biggest deer i've ever shot at in virginia the next day i didn't take all my clothes i was wore out the first day i had walked 14 miles it's three and a half miles back and to shoot him i'd walked three and a half miles shot him and then i took all my stuff back out to the truck and got all my gear to clean him with you know 
and I went all the way back in. So by the time I got back to him and was uh, butchering him, uh, I had like 11 and a half miles in already or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so when I got back to the truck that first night, it had taken me all day and I'd done 14 miles and packed out a whole deer. So on the third day, I had left some of my precious wintertime clothing. <laughs> I was being lazy and I thought, well, I didn't even wear that yesterday you know and and i left some of my undergarments and i start i got really cold and started shaking about nine o'clock in the morning and that that deer came in at 10 o'clock and i was shaking so hard i could not hold the crosshair still at 30 yards at 9 40 he texted me and he said i'm so cold i can't keep the crosshairs on a on a pine tree 20 yards from me he was like pointing at it and texting me that he, he didn't think he could shoot a deer if one came in and then 20 minutes later i heard boom yeah, the first time, he, I mean, he gave me this perfect broadside shot at 30 yards, and I wouldn't take it because I didn't think I could hit him. And then he gave me another broadside shot at 25 yards, and I finally, I was just like, you know, I surely I can't miss at this range. And I shot, I shot his belly hair off. But the, the point is mm-hmm. I have never sat at that perfect scenario, that perfect spot, without seeing a good buck right there. There are more than one good shooter buck staying in that laurel thicket right there. It's the best, safest place in that whole area, and there's more than one shooter buck staying in there. You know. Okay, so that being said, I saw another buck uh, the morning when he shot. I saw one going across the mountain and coming down the same side of the ridge he shot on into the laurel thicket to bed. I just couldn't tell how good he was. His headgear was, so I didn't mm-hmm. shoot. But not all the bucks were bedding in that thick rhododendron thicket on that side one of them was bedding on the opposite side where the does were watching access but where he could watch the scrape area we only found one scrape area in that whole place and like he said he was three and a half miles back in and there. i would never we have walked thought, a bunch of it i would have never thought that deer would have been laying there it was wide open and that deer is not laying there anymore he's uh he's at my house but uh, <laughs> but there was a on the top of the ridge on the edge of the the rhododendron thicket. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a rock, rhododendron laurel uh, Mount Laurel thicket, mm-hmm. kind of mixed. But on the very knife ridge of that, which we don't see a lot, it was you know as a transition area. There was a good scrape area. Well, he was on the first kind of flat point below the scrape area. So any does going up hitting that scrape area, he could see above him, and he could see access below him. And I shot him standing in his bed. Uh, so I actually I was gonna bring that up because uh, y'all were talking about scrapes earlier, and you know this will be an interesting episode to kind of get guys more fired up again for like later in the season come like pre rut in the rut. And it's just what you talked about, Adam, talking about where the where that buck was located because he was bedded below that scrape area. We found a bed. Now this is not mountain. This is more again hill country, Alabama. But hunting with the dogs this past year for woodcock, we found a bed. On the end of this long ridge, this point that kind of dropped down to the bowl, he was probably 60 feet off the bottom. And it's a real long point down. So he was like probably bedded at the bottom third of that ridge, but he was bedded in a huge bed, rubs all the way around it. It was in a pine plantation where they had slut cut pines. There was like tall briars and stuff, about three to four foot tall. So when he's bedded down, completely hidden, but he could stand up and kind of see over the top of some of that stuff. And, um, but where he's bedded, there is a green field. It's on public land. There's a green field directly to his right, to his like northeast of where he was bedded at, that he could see. If someone walked in that green field from laying down, he could see 250 yards away. Like you're busted. 
100% busted. And also, there's a trail, a walking trail, or the, the old logging road that gets to that greenfield. You could see certain, like I sat down on the bed, you could see certain parts of that logging trail. Again, about 200, 250 yards away. Someone's walking down it, making some noise, whatever. He's going to be able to see you. But what I found was interesting is it made perfect sense of why this buck was bedded there. Again, kind of seeing the axes and also kind of the does and everything crossing through that bottom and from like that drainage. There's like a big bowl. But up above him, like there was a couple of rubs right next to his bed and up from this bed. But it looked like he was exiting the bed going uphill. And there was a monster scrape, probably 30 yards, 40 yards above his bed. There was a little, another little flat spot right there. And it was just like a huge scrape. I got chills thinking about it right now, dude. Thinking <laughs> and it, it was a monster scrape. And I was like, one, I'm like, dude, that's got to be this buck. And you could see the trail that was coming up from his bed hitting that scrape. And at that flat spot on this little, on this long ridge point, it connected. There was another bowl kind of drainage. We had three or four bobs coming together just up from where this guy was bedded at. And you could see that there was a trail coming around, hitting that flat spot right where that uh, that uh, scrape was at and kind of keep going around, which was, again, above where he was bedded at. So he could, like, see across the drain, see everything down below him, and then they'll have all this activity direct above him that he can kind of keep tabs on. And the, so the the where the field he was looking at was below him? Below him to the right, yeah. Below him but to where the right. he was staging was behind him. Absolutely. And, yeah. like, what, I, what I'm thinking now, what he was probably doing is exiting the bed, going up, hitting that scrape, Probably not going much farther up the ridge. It could, he could keep going up. He could keep going up another hundred yards if he wanted to. But I think he was hitting that scrape and side hill, and from there, probably going around towards where that field was. He kind of coming up to the bottom, coming up to it uh, again with falling thermals. Because uh, he again, he was staying in the surrounding areas. This is pretty. I would say this is not mountainous, but this is like really, really hilly for like where we hunt at. You know, you're looking at close to a hundred foot elevation change from the bottom to the top. And uh, I felt like he was definitely using a lot of those thermals to his advantage, kind of side hill and dropping back down and coming up through where that field was. Because there was a ton of doe sign in that field. And on the back side of that field was another long ridge. And we actually jumped a couple of uh, does out there, like out of their bed. So I'm like, clearly, and this is this is in season. I just never went back and hunted it. it well, if like the, if that bed that you just described yeah. was here mm-hmm. in the mountains, mm-hmm. I would slip in Halloween mm-hmm. from up above him, get within sight of those shooting within shooting distance of those scrapes behind him yeah and kill him mid-morning uh, uh-huh. 9 30 10 o'clock 10 30 he's yep. gonna come check those well, scrapes it, 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 I, I was talking to andrew about that when we were out there because it made you could there's a certain point i marked on the map there was a certain point when we were walking up the ridge i kept looking back at the bed because i actually had like a sapling marked where the bed was and kind of like roughly how high i thought the deer's head would be when he was laying out there and there was a certain point you could get probably within about 100 yards of the bed where like i don't think he could see like coming off the spot on that ridge, you could like ease down that spot on that ridge, and there was a certain part where it kind of started dropping off a little bit more. You could stop right there and probably either hang in a tree or probably just sit on the ground to be 100% honest and just be able to like watch down there and just see. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. We might have to try that this year. I got some free time. I, but again, that was one thing I was going to ask you is are you ever seeing bucks bedded below where a lot of that sign activity is? Yes. Uh, this weekend, me and my wife actually took a a hiking trip on some public land. I just happen to like to take uh, marital <laughs> hiking trips in and around <laughs> hot spots for deer hunting. But yeah. anyways, I found a, a buck bed just like that. And I, in fact, most of my best uh, bedding in this area are just like this in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. There'll be a knoll. So you'll have the bottoms. Mm-hmm. If there's going to be green fields, they're going to be in the bottoms up here. Mm-hmm. Or even in the Virginia mountains and a lot of times like Ohio, these same places we hunt or kind of all kind of set up the same way. And all the parking is going to be in the bottom. Access is going to be a lot bottom. Human activity, houses, 
uh, crop fields are all going to be in the bottom. And that first knoll, the first really pronounced knoll up on at the National Forest or, or state land, it's going to have your buck beds almost, I mean, nine times out of 10, your buck bed's going to be right there. Um, and I find buck beds more on those points than I do doe bedding. Um, but not always, mm-hmm. but nine times out of 10, it's going to be on those first knolls up through there. Occasionally, you'll find one that's that's bedding behind the does like earlier. You know, you got to do your scouting, but mm-hmm. uh, but that that's what I'm looking for. I'm going to those points just, just up like you described it, just off the behind bottom. the green fields, yep. And a lot of times the scrapes will be behind them. Well, it made one thing that I was I found really interesting, but it makes more sense, especially after having this conversation, is that they're not always bedded at the top, the highest elevation point around. I hear some guys talk about buck bedding, and that's what it seems like in other places. Like they're bedded at like one of the higher elevation points with a visual still kind of sitting, like looking downhill, but they're bedding up real high. And now it makes me wonder because also one thing I thought about this deer definitely had a wind advantage, like swirling winds down there, 100%. Like he probably could smell. Is based off how the, like the, the ridge is laid out, you know, if you had like light and variable, probably be one of your better days to hunt it. If it had anything that was like, especially kind of any kind of Western winds, five, 10 miles an hour, it probably swirled pretty bad because how low down there he was at, I could see that wind potentially kind of rolling back on itself in this big bottom. Um, but more, I'm now wondering in some of these situations, if more of these bucks, kind of like what we've been talking about, are staging up and bedding at a kind of a lower secondary point. Because if you think about some of these long ridges, and Heath, we talked about this in the last episode, it's like, you know, y'all never found them on top of the, the big ridges, the big, these right. big main ridges. They're off these secondary points. But sometimes they might be even on a, a lower knoll than that off the bottom, just depending on, you know, food sources, time of the year, and everything else. Um, which brought up – actually, no, I want to I say that story because I want to have y'all back on because I want to talk about, like, a rut-specific episode with you guys and get, like, into the nitty-gritty. You, y'all mentioned a topic earlier about does and bucks. Um that I want to hold off for that. I talk about like kind of does coming to bucks and everything and kind of some things that y'all have been seeing. Uh, but when we're talking about the kind of the buck bedding and also building upon your knowledge of how bucks are bedding in an area, do y'all have any other kind of either tips or things to kind of discuss on in regards to, again, what can somebody be learning for this season that they can use for next season based off where they're potentially finding bucks bedded or they're jumping deer or anything else like that? We mentioned earlier um, closest to like, you know, sometimes they'll shift around. I don't know if we mentioned the shifting around part, but Heath had mentioned uh, next to the hot food. So like here would be acorns Mm -hmm. when the acorns are hot. So you may have those bedding points that I think that they're typically on, but like the 13 pointer I killed and, you know, he was with a bigger buck, but he may have typically like bedded on a point like what I was just talking about, Mm -hmm. but the you know, in a lean year where there's not many acorns dropping, but there are some, they're going to those acorns that are dropping and he shifted his bed around when those acorns are dropping. And maybe he wasn't where he was most of the year, but while that tree was hot, he was going to be within sight of that tree. Mm. So, you know, most recent sign you hear that oh, all yeah, the time. Absolutely. MRS, most recent sign. Right. And you can't really, you know, that's not something you can follow up with year to year. That's more of like a most recent sign thing. But but it kind of gets you back in the same, like, get you back to an area like, let's go spot check some of this stuff, like based off some history, but also not relying solely on history on exactly what you're doing. Because especially if it's more like early season food source based betting, that is something that I can see like, okay, like this is what happened last year. I've got to go spot check this in season. And this goes back to the whole idea of, not scouting in the summertime because what happens in the summertime means nothing comes season. Right. I mean, that's something that we've talked about previously. Yeah. Is like, that's why y'all don't scout in we the summer. We never scout in the summer. Yeah. Yep. It's in season. 
right then and there because that's yeah. really what matters because it doesn't matter right. what the deer was doing a month and a half ago, two months yeah. ago. And uh, one point is uh, when you're when we go in during the season, you know, and and we're walking around, we are just easing around, you know, and, and like me and Adam, we're used to walking around together. And we're, we used to film a lot together, so uh, the cameraman would walk right behind the the hunter, and we try to sound like a deer easing around. That way, if we we find that hot sign, and we you know you might be near, almost within hearing distance or whatever of his bed, you know you're not bumping him. I just want you know a lot of young hunters might think, well, I just need to cover as much ground as possible to find that hot sign. But then again, you're you're probably bumping the deer by the time you found the hot sign. Um, I just want to caution, you know, the younger hunters out there to, to ease their way in and out. And then that's always maybe, the best option. And maybe uh, don't sing Pink Floyd, Dark Side sing, of the Moon yeah. while you're easing around. Um, but well, we have seen, well, we were talking about bedding, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and year to year stuff you can come back to. Some of the stuff you can keep coming back to is when you find those beds that are set up during the rut. Cause some of those bucks bed during the rut in places that don't bed the rest of the year. So if you've got, we have found beds over the years that were kind of based on a terrain corridor in between major doe bedding areas. Mm-hmm. So those you could set up on year after year after year for those guys that like to sit and rut hunt. Man, that that brings up a bet. I found a buck two years ago. I'm kicking myself because I, I should have changed what I was doing to kill this deer. I found a buck two days in a row hunting the same spot, and it was a early morning like nighttime bed he was using that i think i could have killed him right at daybreak before he made me move back a little bit i've walked on that walked on that buck in his bed twice two days in a row and he was a big deer all i could see was his frame couldn't count all the time big frame deer got within 35 yards of him two days in a row and what he was doing dang it dude. yeah listen i just lost the, I'm, I'm gonna go check that spot out again he was bedded right between he was two monster um uh, uh pine trees big pine trees and he was bedded there was one uphill and there was one just downhill from him. And he wedged himself, I mean, perfectly right in between. I mean, he had enough room to move around, but like he had one to his back and then one kind of right in front of him. He was bedded on a secondary ridge point that was coming off. There's a main ridge, when I say ridge, very gentle rolling main ridge system that had a cut over on with some short pines. And the secondary ridge point came out and there was a creek. The creek came from the north and made like a big C to the west and then went back down to the south and came back to the south. So like a big, like a big C. He bedded on that point, and all the does, I hunted this spot a couple different times, had a ton of rutting activity there, like a couple days previously before I saw this buck was there. Actually, I saw the bed previously, sat the spot, and the next two mornings I came in and saw the buck that was laying there. But had a bunch of rutting activity, and all these does were coming through, and they were crossing. There was another ridge to my west and another ridge to my north, and they were all crossing on this secondary point. Some were coming across the creek, coming up up on the point, going to the short ponds. Some were coming from the short pines, crossing the tip of the point, going up to the, the ridge to the west. Some were coming from the north, going south. But they were all crossing at that spot. And hunted it for again, a couple days. Or hunted for a day, had a crazy hunt. Just, you know, a lot of deer pre-dawn. I got there about an hour and a half before dark, or an hour and a half before daylight. Bucks running around grunting. I can literally, through the moonlight, I can see deer moving. I can't see what they looked like, but it was crazy. And then the second daylight came, they were all back in their spots away from where I was at. But uh, actually, take that back. That night, so that day, I spent the whole day hunting out there. And I had to take a boat into the spot pretty far back. Hunted farther back on the public. At night, came out, got up, came across that ridge point because I had to go over that ridge point, drop back down, go out to the creek, and that's where my boat access was to get out. When I came up over the ridge, that buck was bedded there. Okay, and he was bedded 
where he kind of see up like the south side of that little point, kind of watching back where there's a huge creek crossing right there. Come up, see the buck. He be like, I mean, he lets me walk up to like 35 yards and he gets up and like runs off and goes down the hill. I can see his big frame, big body. You can hear. That's another thing. There is a defined sound between a big body buck mm-hmm. and like any doe. Like you, you can hear it. And once you've heard it and you've seen it, you like, you know, and like, I mean, it was a big old body deer came off. I'm like, that's, that's pretty interesting. I'm like, I I'm, you know, wonder what's happening. I leave, come back to hunt the next morning. That's what it was. Came back to hunt the next morning, got in, it's like 4 a.m. And it's like daylight there is not until like 6, 6 15, something like that. It's like gray light kind of happening. Like sunrise is like 6 40. I'm getting in at four o'clock. I come up, it's like 4 15, get out of the boat, go up the creek, and I'm like starting to like, I hit that creek crossing and then there's a ton of deer sign right there, but it's a hard spot to hunt. I hit my headlamp. I look up on that little secondary ridge point and it's about 60 yards in front of me. I see eyes right there between that pine tree again. I'm like, there's no way it's that deer. I kept going up, kept going up and I got within about 40 yards of him, kept looking that it's what I presume was that same buck laying there. He gets up, goes off the backside of the ridge. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, I think I told Andrew this. I'm like, man, I probably the next day or that night, that afternoon, because he probably got there after dark. I need to come in the next morning and sit across the creek from him on that ridge point, and I can look that secondary ridge point and see if I can get a shot at him. And I never did. But it was, it was a good deer. And it was one of those things that, looking back at it, it was what I would call like a rut bed. Like he's probably, he's probably not laying there all day. Like he had some cover around him, but it wasn't like fantastic bedding, I would say, during the daytime, but maybe like right at daylight, maybe hang around for a little bit and then move back to some thicker cover. But it made me think like some of these bucks are using these areas during the rut specifically as high uh odd spots to have does come upon him which again we're gonna save some of this we're gonna save some of that for another episode with you guys because i think y'all have something to talk about like more specifically on like the doe aspect of that but this is a super interesting bet i found and it's one of those things that he was probably using during a certain window time during the rut and that was it and uh it makes me wonder like how often you can find beds like that that are like kind of consistent year for you like a buck's going to use it just because it's a high odd spot for him to have deer and does come by yeah, that's the kind of place, you know, if, if that buck gets killed out, another one's going to use it. You know, a couple of years, another deer is going to figure out that same thing. You know, might be a place you need to go back and check, even if you killed a buck there. And, you know, you might you might want to go back and check mm-hmm. the next year or the year after that. Well, just like those does know he's bedded there, those younger bucks that are going to yeah. be the king next year. They you know, know he's bedded there, too. Yeah. Yeah, All of a sudden, he's gone, and then they... They've seen him. They, you know, had run-ins with him. It's like they kind of key in off some of that stuff. Um but, and that, that was one of those areas that like, I've seen like a defined, like a buck bed where like he's betting with the visual advantage. He's looking down towards this huge Creek crossing. There's a couple big scrapes down there below him again, like 80 yards below him. But, um, you know, it's still in an area. There's plenty, like there's, if you're on the ground, there's decent cover. If you get up in the tree, you can see everything. And there's one of those places, like when you're on the ground, there's stuff like obstructing your view up to like four feet off the ground. Then once you get up above, like in the tree, standing or saddle. It's like you can shoot anything in there, bow, gun, whatever you like. You shoot down through all of it. It's really, really freaking awesome because the deer are super, like, they're super calm coming through that stuff because it's like visually obstructing them. They can't see super far. So they're like super calm. Like, oh, nothing, nothing can see me. You know, I'm, I'm slick. And uh, next thing you know, you can, you can get a pretty sweet shot at them. Uh, man, we get sidetracked on this. Just talking about <laughs> beds. Um, has there been any other situations where we're talking about, like any other things that y'all kind of found, uh, you know, bucks bedding? Again, we were talking about Adam, you know, them kind of sometimes betting below some of that activity, uh, which I find interesting. But 
again, I don't know. It's this it's an interesting topic, I think, as like something to build upon. It makes me more excited to kind of look at more of these mountain areas because I feel like these areas are so much more defined. Like these bedding mm-hmm. locations are so much more defined in the mountains than especially hill country or flatlands. We found them bedding um below access, um, actual human access, not you know, earlier we're talking about staging areas behind mm-hmm. their beds. We have actually found them bedding below um, public access, but kind of above, still above like the private land below, um, but in between those two. So if anybody comes in off public, they can see them coming in. And if anybody comes in up the mountain off private, they can see them come in. Um, They're out of there. Yeah. They can hear a door slamming in the parking lot, you know. The particular place I'm uh, thinking of that. Um, the 13 pointer I'd killed, he was bedding not on a point, but in on the side of a bowl. But he could, it was all visual. He could perfectly, that was like the one spot he could see down to the private entrance, up to the public entrance. It wasn't on a knoll, it was just off to the side of the knoll. In the steepness. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't in the middle of the bowl. It was on the edge. It was like, you know, towards one of the points, mm-hmm. but there was a little flat spot right there. And he was based, like I said, again, visual betting so let me let me ask y'all this is kind of the final question what has y'all excited for this coming to your season and heath i'll let you go first and then adam you next Mm. what has me excited i have an an area i've found that's just it's mostly thicket and uh, i've hunted it two years in a row and i killed a seven pointer there this year and missed a 10 pointer there last year with my rifle uh uh, that's uh another story but uh first year i ever missed with a with a rifle but Anyways, that area, um, I kind of, I haven't sat there yet. I've got, basically, it sets up like this. There's two laurel thickets, and, no, there's two cutovers, and there's a laurel thicket in between the two cutovers. And they're coming around the top of a, a draw right there. And it is just absolutely perfect for rut time action. And uh, I'm trying to recreate that same setup in that area in two or three different spots mm. where I can hunt that area for like a week and hunt different bucks. And that area has just got enough cutovers and laurel thickets to where I think if I really put my time in, I can, I can have three or four different really good spots in that same area instead of bumping around like I normally do and moving camp every two or three days. I, th- I think I'm going to focus on that area and try to stay for a week, you know, and recreate that perfect magic scenario of of a laurel thicket in between two cutovers and that also has a a draw the back end of a draw coming up to the laurel thicket you know and and i haven't set that stand without seeing a buck not once i've set it four times and i've seen a shooter buck every time i set it dude that's that, that to me like when you describe stuff like that that's like a high odd spot yes compounding features yeah. that like in an area that clearly is like prime bedding bucks comfortable moving through there and you have I mean, are you accessing up that drainage no i'm accessing from the top there's a logging road that comes around and i'm actually dropping off to get to there i'm accessing from the top of the ridge but uh that that drainage the top of that drainage coming up right there where it meets the laurel thicket and then the cutovers on both sides, it's just magical. Mm. And when I first found it, I was like, oh, my, this is going to be good. I found it in the summertime, and I actually saw Also, we're summer scouting, bro. What are we talking uh, about here? Yeah, I just <laughs> happened to get out. I don't do much summer summer scouting, but I just happened to get a wild hair and go up and look at this area in the summer. And, uh, and uh, there was a big buck laying in the wide open hardwoods above that laurel thicket. 
And he was laying there with a doe in the middle of the summer. And I mean, he was a giant, he wasn't fully developed his horns yet, mm-hmm. but he was already pretty wide. And I decided, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give this area some, a shot and give it some time. And, and then I, I walked around a little bit more and found that spot, but I shot, uh, what I, I mistook him. I, he had a little ground shrinkage. I shot a seven pointer, three year old seven this year right there. And I'd let him go last year as a six pointer, but, uh, another hunter heard me shoot and actually walked to me to see what I shot. You know, I'm two miles back right there. And I think he's probably, he knows where I killed that deer. I mean, the chances of, and he's hunting with a bunch of other dudes too. So the chances of them not setting up there next year is pretty slim. So I'm going to go in that area and I'm going to recreate that same setup somewhere else. I'm not going to hunt the exact same spot because I think it's going to be, you know, now that other people know where it's at, it's probably not going to be that good. That's crazy. It's when I walk in after they heard that Yeah, shot. I had that happen twice this year. Both deer I killed, I had people walk in because they heard the shot. They were like, yeah, I wanted to see what you shot. You know, but now two of my good spots, people actually saw where I shot the deer at. So those spots may not be good spots anymore. They may go in there and put cameras in there. They, you know, they may go, you know, I'm not going to rely on that spot anymore. I'll go check it this year, but I'm going to try to recreate that spot somewhere else in the same area, you know, where, where they, where they don't already know where my, my honey hole is, you know, because what I think is, you know, next year that spot's good because I'm the only one that knows about it. But now that there's other people that know about that spot, are they going to go in there and put up cameras? Are they going to go up and hang stands? That spot may already be spooked by the time I go back. So I feel like I'm going to have to recreate it and do a little more scouting. It was perfect, but now it's not so perfect because somebody else knows about it. And and you can't control what somebody else does in that spot. You know, They're probably going to be burning that spot out before I ever get a chance to hunt it next year. Real quick, and then uh, Adam, I'm going to ask you the same thing. Kind of want to get you get excited for the season. Um, just a, a quick story. So, uh, back in, well, I'm going to say, uh, back in high school, uh, in college, uh, there was a guy that Andrew, uh, took hunting in, in a spot and newer guy took him to the spot. Like, Hey, t- take your climber, climb on this power line right here. And uh, I think he, I think he shot a, uh, shot a pretty good nine point there. Uh, like first time he ever went in there, but uh, with his bow and, uh, Andrew like went and checked that spot again because he was like trying to show him like different areas to hunt. He went back in there and he almost killed that pine tree, climbed it so much in like a couple of weeks. <laughs> like it was like one spot and just like had it freaking. I mean, the tree was scarred up head to toe for twenty feet, twenty five feet up. He was climbing with his stand. Just I mean, he's like and he, he was asking about. It. He's like, oh yeah, I kept going back there. He got back there every every couple of days and just anyways. I was trying to get back to the whole idea to show one guy a good spot and it's like. Yep. <laughs> it's that spot or no like i'm not gonna kill another deer unless it's in that same tree same area so uh that kind of when you said those guys walked in on him that's the first thing that came to mind oh that i'm it was like i'm sitting in that spot i'm gonna beat him there and all that kind of stuff but sidetrack adam what's kind of got you excited potentially for this season okay Especially, two things so what i said okay two things, okay, two uh, things. First, first of all i'm going to my first archery mule deer hunt in south dakota this year no idea what I'm doing. I'm probably more likely to hit one with my truck than I am with a with a you know with a bow and arrow. But but I'm excited about that. But whitetail hunting first cold front in October. That's what has me excited. Um, and that's just over the years, especially as I've gotten older, mm-hmm. the more I hunt that first cold front, and I spend a little time looking for the fresh sun right ahead of that cold front. That's when I see the most deer the whole season. And a lot of times, it's when I see the first doe come into heat, and then every buck in the area is after. 
because there's only one doe in heat or two does in heat. So that's what's got me excited. That's what I'm excited for this year. I'll spend a lot of time scouting a day or two before that first cold front comes through in October. And then I'm going to hit the woods hard, probably harder than I would in a November uh, rut situation. And that's what I was going to ask you is if you're strategically looking at the weather and saying like, hey, the storm front's going to hit in four days, must be a 20, 30 degree temperature swing. You're going to be out there scouting as much as you can before that hits. Yes. Right. And I guess we kind of forgot to mention that, but we have always based our September and October hunts around uh, cold fronts. And, and you know, if, if for no other reason than to not sweat to death, you know. So Yeah, whether the deer care about it or not, I know we do. You know, yeah, it was I know better. I do. It was a lot yeah. better when it's like, you know, y'all probably have a lot colder weather, especially hunting at higher elevation than we are. But, like, dude, you get a day when it goes from, like, mid upper 80s to like 60 you're like oh dude this is this is the ticket here it's the day for me yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> absolutely um awesome well uh guys again appreciate y'all coming back on the podcast i'm excited because you know i want to do another episode with you guys talking a little more about rut tactic and kind of get into the nitty-gritty there um we'll do that in the future but um again appreciate y'all's you know appreciate y'all willing to come back on the podcast appreciate adam you let me again kind of come here we can kind of do it in person because this is fun this is what i was telling andrew uh, and some of the other guys is like, it's fun now being, have the opportunity to travel and do a lot of this stuff in person instead of doing it over the phone, because not only do you get like pick somebody's brain, but even like after we're done recording, we're still talking about some of this stuff too. It's like, you can learn so much more when you're like kind of talking to somebody in person and then also like picking their brain like in each other, because like, that's what gets me excited about deer hunting. We were talking about turkey hunting earlier. And it's like, you know, deer hunting is like what gets me fired up because there's so many different aspects. Like what somebody's doing in Alabama that makes them very successful, they go to Virginia, probably not going to have a whole bunch of success doing the same thing. And then vice versa. It's like, it's so different based off where you hunt and where you live at. Uh, and that's the cool thing about whitetails is just because a whitetail is a whitetail doesn't mean the same hunting style is going to work wherever you go. And that's the cool thing about this podcast and cool thing talking to you guys because, again, I don't have any experience hunting whitetails in the mountains, but we're going to try this year. So we'll figure out how that goes. <laughs> but uh, appreciate uh, everybody listening to the podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe like every single week. And uh, again, guys, thank y'all for coming on. And we'll catch y'all back here uh, for the next outro of the podcast, which should be coming out a little bit later on this week. So thanks again, and y'all stay safe. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it, you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.